Hadi Mai, welcome to Queensland Live podcast. Um, I think it's Tuesday. It is Tuesday. I think it's June. Who knows? Who knows anymore? Um, I'm here with a very special woman, um, Megan Tucker. So she is a program specialist for children with disabilities for UNICEF. Um, originally from Melbourne, Australia. Why I said Australia in that crap accent, I'm not sure. Um, but currently living bad. in New York. Um, Hadi Mai, welcome. Hi, Jane. Thanks and, for having um, me. I'll also add that you are a mum to a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old. Um, now, I always ask, I don't know if you listen to any of these podcasts, but I always ask, how are you? And then I ask, how are you? In that voice. <laughs> it's so true. Answer that. I'm fine as default, but then you pause for a minute and go, actually, I'm not that fine at all. Is, is it anyone these days, really? Um, I'm, I'm doing a hell of a lot better than we were a couple of months ago, that's for sure. Like June in New York is a lot better than, than March and April were. Um, there's still definitely, you know, scars from the experience over the last few months. But uh, yeah, we're doing better. And, and today is our first day of school holidays because the kids have school holidays over um, the American summer. And so that's a hell of a lot better than when we were in school time as well. So I'm doing all right. So where, tell me exactly where are you? So I'm in Brooklyn, in downtown oh, Brooklyn. You're like deep in New York. Yes, yes, downtown Brooklyn. Um, and then I work, well, I, I used to work, I still work, but now remotely in Manhattan. So I used to be commuting into the United Nations building in um, Manhattan each day, but now I've been working remotely since early March from our, our little apartment in Brooklyn. And so, so I don't know if you know, it's been really interesting for me, we were talking about this before, about finding out about commonalities around women and what they're going mm. through, but also the, excuse me, the differences around the, the world as to what we're allowed, keep burping, excuse me, um, what we're allowed to do in inverted commas. And so New Zealand currently, we've got, I think we've got, well, we had no cases at all, no, nobody in hospital, mm. nobody with it. And then we just got another two a couple of days ago. Um, but we're on level one, so that means we can go to work, we can go to school, we can go to the bar, we can hang out, we can kiss our friends, yeah. we can lit windows, we can, you know, within, you know. Um, but so what, what, what's going on for you? What, what's that? Yeah. So New York was in lockdown from early March. Um, so the first week of March, we picked the kids up from school on a Friday and we didn't go back. Um, and I got evacuated from work that week because we had someone with COVID on the floor. Um, and we've been in basically in lockdown until today is the first day of um, the kind of stage one reopening. Um, so as of today, restaurants and bars can serve food on the street. Um, there's more curbside pickup from stores, uh, constructions resumed and things like that are kind of starting to reopen, playgrounds reopen today. Um, but you know, for my husband and I, it's still very much working from home. The kids school, we, we spent the rest of the school year here in, um, remote learning and we've been told to expect when it comes back in September that it could be it's likely to be remote learning as well. So that was a huge blow to hear that yeah. <laughs> we'd be probably back to, you know, uh, 10 weeks later, still be in um, remote learning for the kids. So things are starting to ease and certainly the cases have been a lot 
small new cases are a lot fewer than they were back in March, which was really March and April were really it was a scary time here. Like yes. it was yeah. it's massive. Yeah. And has that, has that communication been clear? So a lot of people, um, I know my, my family are in the UK and they've said communication has been, it's been crap. Like, they, you know, <laughs> their whole thing is stay alert. And my parents are like, what does that mean? What does stay alert mean? Yeah. Do, we, do we walk yeah. around with like running, are we running away from <laughs> something? Whereas here it's been like, you do this, you don't do that. That's it. Nothing. Yeah. If, here it depends on who you listen to. If you <laughs> listen to the administration. <laughs> And the president, it's not so clear, but um, within New York City and New York State, the at least the governor has been really clear. And so for us, the messages were pretty clear. Also, because I work for UNICEF, like we were involved in the, the COVID response globally, right, from, you know, the from the moment that it started happening at a global scale. And so I had kind of like also this insider knowledge that I was hearing about from, um, you know, colleagues that are technical specialists about what to do and what not to do so that was really helpful in terms of informing how we approached it as a family um but we were we've been super cautious in terms of what to do and what not to do but new york like now everyone on the street wears masks um even though things are reopening people are still very much wearing masks you know we've had huge amount of protests around because of you know black Lives matters and george floyd but um that's been interesting because all of the protesters have worn masks and my my took my daughter and she said to me why aren't any of the police wearing masks whereas all the protesters were wearing masks um but on the whole you know it was fairly clear at the local level at least what was the restrictions and what we could and couldn't do so in terms of your work how how did that happen because i know a lot of people for my for example my in my household we have a toddler and we both still worked I was in essential service and my husband's in tourism so you know I mean that stopped but it's he still had stuff to do so we kind of cut the day in half I took her in the morning he took her in the afternoon and then if anything came up we were kind of quite flexible but we had to communicate a lot whereas some friends were like that mm-hmm. totally didn't work for us like mm-hmm. so how did you manage that yeah as has evolved um from what it was in the beginning definitely so when it first happened um so early march when we went into lockdown my boss was actually having surgery in brazil so i was leading our team um so i was acting as the the chief of the section and so at that point we basically divided the day in half where one of us would spend the morning with the kids remote learning and the other one would spend the afternoon but for me i found at least the first six weeks I would spend all of my morning in management meetings because I was filling in this role of my manager. Um, Then I would spend the afternoon remote learning and then by four or five o'clock, I hadn't even done a single bit of actual work. And so for about six weeks, I then would work till midnight or one in the morning just to try and actually, you know, we were responding to COVID. So there were things that had to happen, had to be reviewed, had to be addressed. Um, And so I would work till late, and I did that for about five or six weeks straight. And then I really burnt out, I think. Um, it's a very unsustainable. No, no. And the only reason I laugh is because I interviewed my friend who um, is a lecturer at the University in Auckland um, a couple of weeks ago on here. And she said she did the same thing. She did. They've got two kids. They did. She worked. She used to do, look after them all day and then work till two and then get up at four mm. and start working again. And she did it for two weeks. And her husband said to her one day, 
you are going to die. Like you are actually (laughs) going to die. And she just was like, I can't do this. And he went, no, you can't. Like, I know. (laughs) And I had moments like that where I was crying going, I I literally can't do this, but I'd have to snap out of it because someone in the team needed me or the kids needed me. Like you can't. There were moments where I thought that it was absolutely impossible. Uh, But it turns out. I think, also in those roles, you know, there's, there's lots of people in those support helping roles at the minute. And the big question that we're all having kind of all over the place is, at what point does somebody look after us? So, you know, mm-hmm. if we're not going to do it for ourselves and we're not able to say, I need to have an hour on my own, I need to go and cry in the shower, I need to go and sit in the garage, I need to go and sit in the whatever. Um, when, do we, when does somebody actually take over and say, I actually need to look after you or somebody needs to actually yeah. look after you now? Because you can't, you, you are still a human being. Um, yeah. And that was my husband. Like, he would get me out of my chair and feed me, basically, lunch and dinner. Like, he made all, like, he does all the cooking in our house. So he was basically sustaining me. Um, but then, you know, after six weeks, my boss came back to work more fully. And so I um, stopped that role. And then, you know, my, my motivation and my, I think I truly burnt out because it was a struggle. Once the pressure was off in such an acute way, yeah. it was a struggle even to put a coherent sentence together. Like, you know, it was, uh, it took all that I had to get through those six weeks. Um, but yeah, it, it's better now. Like I spent a couple of weeks really burnt out and lacking motivation and wondering what on earth I was doing in America (laughs) and then um (laughs) and then got over that and then um now now we're doing okay and it's easier now that the kid we're not having to spend that intense time trying to support the kids in their learning now that they're on summer holidays yeah totally um but it all it all happened so quickly it was so surreal the sorts of conversations that we were having whether at work or at home um that were unfathomable just a week before like it was just extraordinary um and in new york the cases obviously were so high yeah and i think that we got through that by not talking about it to each other like i wasn't watching the news the only time i would hear see the number of deaths or the number of cases were when people would freak out in australia and message me and be like oh my god it's this number so i kind of was less keeping in touch with people in Australia just as a kind of a mechanism to get through those weeks and months where the, the tolls were so high um, and trying to avoid looking at the numbers certainly on the news here. Yeah, because I was going to ask you how it's been because I talked to a friend of mine who lives here who's from New York and she's in uh, Wellington at Christchurch and she, I was saying, you know, being outside looking into other places, you know, from where you're, you come from, it's like, you know, you, it's like, I felt like I had my eyes, my face up against the glass and I was watching all the stuff in horror and she's the same. And she said, I, I have to turn stuff off. I have to watch a little bit. I have to talk to the people I love. I have to think about what I can do, you know, with stuff that was going on with Black Lives Matter. What, what can I do here that feels yeah. real and palpable and on the ground here? What can I do? Because I feel so helpless about that stuff going on over there. Um, yeah, but so it is interesting being out, looking in, and and being in, looking out. It's yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah definitely. Have you got? You still got family in Melbourne? 
all of our family is yeah. in Melbourne, both yeah. my husband's and mine. So they, they were really kind of concerned for us over here. I think a lot of people have expected us to go home, but um, we, we've kind of stuck it out here. Um, you know, the kids have school here and have friends here and we have our work here. So, yeah. um, But it all happened so quickly that almost you had to make the decision if you were going to leave New York. And some people did, like I was supporting people in the team to try and get out. Um, but you had to make that decision pretty quickly in the beginning. And at that stage, you know, we, we had no idea what was ahead as well in terms of how bad it would be. Yeah, totally. Um, so and we just know. kind of hunkered down and got yeah. through. And what else can you, like, you can't, you can only control what you can control, right? You, you, that, that uncontrollable stuff, some of it you have to let go of and kind of just let it see what happens. <laughs> Like, yeah, you can't control Definitely. everything and stop everything. And um, so in terms of your work, how has it been in that community, in that sector for, you know, there's, there's, there's inequity for people with disabilities anyway. We know people with disabilities mm-hmm. are more likely to, you know, uh, receive, um, be part of abuse and violence. We know, you know, there's yes. all that unfairness that's going on. And then you've got mm-hmm. this thing that's lumped on top of it. Yeah. What, what have Definitely. you, have you seen any shifts or any, What's the conversation been like around that? Yeah. Yeah, it has been really concerning, actually, because um, for various reasons, persons with disability are more at risk of actually contracting COVID because um, they're reliant on others in some cases for, you know, things like hand washing and, um, and also they might have underlying health issues. So if they do catch, if they do have COVID, it can be much more um, serious. And then also we found one of the biggest barriers has been that um, messaging and information about COVID hasn't been produced in the sorts of formats that all persons with disabilities can understand. And so we've really been advocating from the beginning to make sure that any information related to COVID is in the different formats like Braille, um, easy to read. And then also um, the other massive issue has been that where health services have been rationed and people are being kind of um, where the health system has become overloaded, that persons with disabilities are not able to access the services that they need within the health system. So we've seen globally huge cuts in disability support services. Um, and that has, you know, is going as well as where they have, carers people aren't able to come to their house anymore to provide the support they need um there's been some really tragic stories um there was a boy in china whose parents whose father and brother were put in mandatory quarantine and no one was taking care of this boy at home with cerebral palsy and he passed away from you know neglect these are the sorts of stories that are starting to emerge where um, kids with disabilities are, you know, disproportionately affected and can, it can be really quite grave the impact on them when a family member has COVID or, or um, if they need to seek health services and the health system is um, overloaded at that time. Yeah, yeah, it's been really very concerning. Yeah, there's lots of new conversations, hey, like... <sighs> that, you know, that are layered and you realise all that, you you know, you think your eyes are quite open and then you open them even more around what's going on around the world. Yeah. And it's like, God, I've got so much work to do. Yeah. 
so much yeah. work to do and so many hard com- I'm having so many hard conversations at the minute with friends that are actually they've been needed to have been had about racism about yes. you know structures about where you come from you know and, and actually some of those ones that have been bubbling away for years but actually now you're like I don't care I'm gonna have these conversations I'm gonna have them yeah. I'm gonna get it out there I'm gonna let's get it out there yeah um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a very interesting time. Um, it is an incredible time. There's, there's just so many, you know, multiple pandemics and multiple things that are going on at the same time to kind of grapple with. Um, and here in Brooklyn, you know, we're at the centre of the protest. We're a, black, a block from uh, Barclays Centre, which is where the has been the centre of the protest. So it was really it was you know very much present right from the beginning you know the Friday night after George Floyd passed away we heard sirens and uh, helicopters and everything and and looked out the front door and the protesters were coming down our street and we saw a police car you know accelerate into the protesters and then the protesters gathered around the car and then the riot police came in and right from our front door, you could see this escalation and, um, you know, cause and effect between the, the police and the, the protesters. Um, it was quite extraordinary. And then the protests have continued around our house. Um, yeah. And we've taken our, our kids to some of them and, and had those conversations with our kids. It's actually been, um, it's been really so sad and tragic, but it's, I think it's been, it's the wake up call, at least for our family to be much more deliberate in how we talk about race. Um, You know, I think we, we had the books in our library, but we probably avoided talking about race so um, clearly. And so I think that it's been positive for our family to at least address some of these things head on and talk about, have some of those hard conversations. Yeah, totally. Cause I was just going to ask you actually, um, like how have you um, presented covid to seven and ten year old and i found some really i've actually my my friend again had this conversation with her three three-year-old and five-year-old and the three-year-old um created covid as this like white yeti so when she went out to the supermarket <laughs> she said are you gonna see covid and it was like what do you think it looks like she's like this big white thing that hides behind the shelves and she's like okay that's fine <laughs> but trying to explain to even to my she was two and a half like you can't we can't go around to our friend's house because you know some people are sick and some people are might be sick but that whole might be Mm -hmm. scenario is like what does that mean so what how how did you describe that to them we actually had a really there was like a a book that went around that we printed out and, and it was in exactly the sort of language that was great for them to talk about you know, what it is and um, how, what they needed to do to prevent it, to wash their hands and things. So I think that the communication from that was okay, but I didn't quite realize how much it affected them until we really like hunkered down. Um, I was the only one leaving the house to get groceries. Um, and it was probably a month before the kids went outside Um and then my, the first time we suggested to go for a walk, my daughter started crying. Like yeah. I hadn't realized that fear was present. She yeah. was really upset at the thought of going outside. She's like, it's not safe. Um, and I think she felt so safe in the house. Yeah. Um, and she understood this kind of 
you know, what was going on enough to be really fearful about it. And we had to kind of talk to her about how we can keep ourselves safe and still go for a walk, at least around the block. Um, it's been actually really, my seven-year-old is very resilient and uh, he, he doesn't, he, he absorbs things, but in a very kind of logical, factual way. Um, whereas for my daughter, it's been a lot harder and it's been kind of like a series of disappointments where, you know, we had to cancel her first ever slumber party as she was so upset about school being canceled, um, being, you know, not being able to be in the building. She was so upset about that. And then now there's also the, the added element of we're from a really diverse community um and a lot of people in our school and in our school community are from the arts you know they're writers and they're um artists and screenwriters and things and so they've been so heavily impacted um and so one of her best friends is you know they can't afford to live in brooklyn anymore and they're moving to texas um and the mum's one of my best friends and the daughter is well alice's best friend so there's also been those discussions where we've had to say that, you know, one of her best friends is moving away and we, you know, we won't be able to say goodbye or have a celebration. She's just, you know, we, we rode, actually on Saturday, we rode our bikes over to her house and we stood out front of their house and said yeah. goodbye with masks on. It was, it was so surreal and sad and just, you know, the, the impact of this on some families is so profound. Yeah. It's life-changing. And so she's had a lot of emotions to grapple with and a lot of, you know, disappointments and things to kind of come to grips with. Yeah. Which for a 10-year-old, that's so much. Yeah, I know. And they're really bloody clever, do you know? Yes. Kids are so bloody clever. They're just like, you know, this is this and that is this and what does this mean? And then, you know, I'll move on a little bit and then I'll come back to that thing because it's stuck in my mind and they hear and feel everything. Um, and you know, at work, we're constantly reminding parents, whatever you say, whatever is on the TV, they get it and they internalize it. And then they'll spew out something that might be real or not real to them. So you have to be on the fact that they're hearing this stuff and you have to be ready to answer those questions and actually put, present that stuff to them before they have questions because often they'll make it up in their mind and then they'll just live that reality. And it's like, that's yeah. really scary, really scary. Because we're yeah. all scared as adults and we're in our 30s, 40s and 50s, you know? Um, yeah. So d- they are yeah. too. Like, why wouldn't they be? Yeah. Um, my, my daughter Absolutely. was like, I'm at home with my parents for a month. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I get to watch My son, my son was more like that. I don't, my son was like that. He's like, I get to play more Nintendo because I don't have to catch the subway <laughs> Whereas my daughter, the thought of not seeing her friends and teachers every day huge. is heartbreaking. Yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Oh my God, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> um, but we will get on to our... Um, so you have to do a quick fire round now. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Don't feel the pressure. It's very easy. Um, Vegemite okay. or Marmite? Oh, Vegemite. Oh, you're 100%. a disgrace. Um <laughs> My kids are the only kids in Brooklyn that have like Vegemite sandwiches every week at school, you know. We have lots and of fairy friends for birthdays. I love it. Um, <laughs> spring or autumn? Autumn. Uh, favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Ooh, good one. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. 
Absolutely. Um, are you a manicured lawn or an unruly meadow kind of girl? Uh, I guess an unruly meadow. I can't keep anything alive, so I've never gardened a day in my life. We'll get on. <laughs> we'll get on really well. Um, <laughs> uh, hot bath or hot shower? Shower. Um, Kindle or book? Book. Yeah. Um, uh, were you the type of person who did your homework at the start of the school holidays or the night before? <laughs> I'd like to think it was night before, but I don't know if that's true now. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember my parents having to hassle me a lot to get homework done, so I'm going to say night you know, it's so funny because it's such a, a presentation of, of who a person is. Also, I have a, um, a system where I ask people how many tabs you have opened on your computer and whether you shut them oh. down. That tells me a lot about you. I like to shut all mine down, whereas my husband has tabs and tabs oh, yeah. and tabs. I restart my computer about once every six months. So whenever I take it down to IT, they're like, what are you doing? They're like, what even is this? Um, yeah. One famous person, alive or dead, that you would invite into your lockdown bubble? Oh, that's a good question. My mother. That's yeah, a good answer. She, she's passed, and so I would love her to meet my that kids and to really be in our bubble. That would be awesome. The answer. Um, yeah. And then something that you've been listening to or watching that you'd like to recommend, and it can be anything. Ooh. Um, do you know what? I've been watching Dear White People, which is obviously very current at the moment. And, yeah. um, you know, it's a really great way to, it addresses these issues head on, but it's a really also very funny and very um, entertaining. Yeah, it's good. That is in my list. I've just finished Normal People, which I don't know if you've had. Oh, then. yes. Yeah, yeah, oh, I did. Me. I read the book and I watched it. We cried. My husband bawled his eyes out at the funeral. Like, Really? I looked over yeah, and I Yeah, it was pretty sad. Okay. And he's like, we'll talk about this in a minute. We finish watching. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Um, and then tell me what you're going to go and do right now. Right now, um, I'm going to have a cup of tea. And... What time is it there? Is it... It's 8.30 at night. Okay. I'm going to have a cup of tea and watch some Netflix, I think. Amazing. Um, it's eight, I love saying this. It's 8.30 yesterday. <laughs> yes, it's yesterday. It's like, I know. We what? just showed the kids Back to the Future yesterday. and It, it like showed the, the movie for the first time, and it's, it's a bit like that with the time difference. Blew their minds. Um, thank you so much for giving up some of your... Um, relaxation time and talking to us no problem um, and i'm sure Great we will to talk, talk to you more. and you speak soon thanks dan bye